Welcome to the Property Voice Podcast, helping you to navigate safely through the world of property investing. Get the lowdown and updates, insights and outcomes on all matters property with a splash of entertainment along the way. The Property Voice, a voice to trust among the crowd. Now, let's get started with your host, Richard Brown. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Property Voice podcast. My name is Richard Brown and as always, it's a pleasure to have you join me again on the show today. Well, we're going to continue the rather painful but necessary mini-series on property horror stories, this time focusing on letting agents and property managers as they're sometimes also known as. Once again, just to set the scene a little, I have a diversified portfolio spanning uh, several different countries um, and you know within countries spread out as well. So I do need to rely on letting agents and, and property managers to support me. However, now and again, you do find the odd bad apple, as with any industry. And today's episode highlights a few cases that I have either been involved with directly or personally or have some awareness of indirectly. I hasten to add that in the most part, I do have good experiences with the letting agents and property managers that I work with, despite what you're about to hear. (laughs) That said, I usually follow some deliberate due diligence steps before working with an agent, which has probably helped me to at least contain issues that I have to small fires rather than towering infernos. (laughs) So uh, lettings and property manager horror stories up next then. Okay, so let's get on with this week's featured topic with Property Chatter. Okay, letting agents and property managers, surely they wouldn't do that, would they? (laughs) Okay, first case, I'm going to go into some detail and then I'm just going to share some, you know, snapshots or sound bites of some of the stories that I am familiar with. But the first story uh, I'm titling from hardworking to potentially overtrading into bankruptcy, question mark. I met the owner of an agency at a weekend property event and we struck up a good rapport. He was very hungry and hardworking, which are characteristics I genuinely admire. However, hungry can sometimes also stretch into overreaching, overpromising, sorry, overpromising, and potentially also over-trading too. Essentially, we agreed to work together on one of my HMOs with uh, his company acting as the letting agent. All seemed to start well, and uh, in fact, at times, I even praised the company publicly for some of their actions. But then it started to change. (laughs) A tenant at the property was letting me know that there seemed to be a new three-strike rule Uh, as he had been observing. Uh, And this is where it always seemed to take three separate reports of an incident before any action is taken on the part of the letting agent. So reports of faults or repairs or ad hoc tenant requests and even a pesky mice issue all took on average three or more written reports and they insisted on them being written before they were attended to. In short, this led to frustration and delay, not to mention worsening property condition and and indeed tenant morale. Finally, the agent unilaterally altered the payment dates of rent transfers from me, uh, uh, sorry, to me, 
um, from what was written as within five days of collection, which was as per our mutually agreed and indeed written uh, property management agreement or lettings management agreement to within the first days of the month following collection, which is quite a significant difference. I'm sure you're aware. So I objected to the additional delay in receiving my rental income. And that's not least of which because it meant I actually had to fund my mortgage payment out of my own pocket for an extra month whilst this delay kicked in. But uh, needless to say, um, they simply called me awkward. Uh, I insisted, despite being called awkward and possibly the only one who was uh, making a fuss, uh, but they stick to their uh, original written agreement. But they simply ignored it and they did it anyway. So I just lost my rag and uh, decided to serve notice on them. Uh, obviously, you know, there were some issues that were bubbling along in the background. But the bigger issues were the ones I couldn't see. In fact, I had wrongly placed my trust in this agent to follow the correct legal procedures. And this became quite painful for me, as you're about to hear. However, after taking back the property, I discovered some things that truly disturbed me. For example, the EPC was not only out of date, but was also incorrectly rated at F rather than the new legal minimum requirement of E. And yet the agent was still advertising rooms using that same EPC, which is illegal. Then I discovered that the last gas safety certificate undertaken at the property was over two years ago or two years prior which is most definitely illegal. This is an HMO we're talking about. I mean, any any landlord would be uh, feeling sick, I'm sure, um, as I, in fact, did to discover that the um, the gas safety certificate was well over two years out of date. Uh, but an HMO in particular, we could be talking about some very serious uh, issues and consequences. And of course, I must shoulder the blame for both of these two factors, and uh, I hold my hands up to that. And it's been quite a painful lesson for me to go through this. But as a result, I've now introduced tighter procedures, which will enable me to check on those who I'm you know, trusting to uh, undertake my responsibilities on my behalf to do it correctly. Unfortunately, I put my trust in this particular uh, company and this individual behind the company, and uh, that was my mistake. But there were other issues, such as failing to document a new tenancy agreement at an agreed revised rent, which is illegal, telling one tenant that the landlord, i.e. me, had insisted on a 10% rent increase when I wasn't even aware of the situation, which is a false claim, and discovering that despite advertising membership of Property Mark, which is formerly Arla, that they are not even and never were in fact members, which is misrepresentation. Other issues emerged on closer scrutiny, such as the late filing of their accounts, new company formations with similar names, and name changes for older companies in a bit of a smoke and mirrors exercise, and even a couple of strike-off notices at companies' house as well. And these factors are often early indications of financial difficulty and distress. So I guess you could say the red flags were waving very clearly at this point. Of course, I discovered this a little bit too late, but by sharing this episode, I'm hoping you won't fall into the same trap. And I guess some of the most frustrating elements arose after I served notice. 
they simply refused to hand over the property for the two months notice period that was agreed. But that was despite me offering to pay all of their fees for the notice period just, just for them to go away so I could get the property back and get it back under control. I consulted the National Landlords Association and indeed Property Mark, who I thought they were members of, but both advised me that this was very sharp practice and highly unnecessary. Despite that, they insisted. Then they had the cheek and temerity to threaten me with legal action for using a photograph they had taken of my own property in an ad for a room in my property that they had left vacant for several months. (laughs) I really couldn't believe that. Technically, of course, I didn't have the license to that uh, particular uh, photograph, which was what they were leaning on. But I just really thought it was well, just it was just beyond the pale, in all honesty, to uh, to write to me and insist that I take it down and threaten me with legal action, given all of what I've said. I'm probably going to take this up with um, the relevant authorities at some point. I just haven't really had time uh, to do it to date, but I, I will do. I will do uh, because I believe really, you know, this should be looked into. Needless to say, it took me a month or even two of very hard work to stabilise the property, the tenancies and the compliance issues after taking back the property. And it all goes to show that when someone is out building their property empire, that Rome may be burning um, as they do. So that was the first, <laughs> I actually feel the relief as I'm sharing that story with you. But that was the first story I wanted to share. The, the second is actually a series of different stories or sound bites, which all relates to uh, experiences that either I or people close to me have had with letting agents and, and property managers. So I sometimes use the word property managers, um, it's particularly used in other countries, but it could also be privately employed or personally employed um, letting agents, if you like, people who work for you rather than for a, an agency. So I've, I've titled this section, Bogus Works, Undisclosed Kickbacks and Hidden Gotchas in the Agreement. <laughs> you know what's coming. And it, uh, it, this, this section, it spans uh, several agencies and property managers over a period of years that, as I mentioned, I and others have encountered. Um, and it does suggest that agent problems might be more common than you might be thinking. And I've got first or second-hand knowledge of the following particular in, uh, situations. There was a situation where there was works that was quoted for, but not required, such as a, a full replastering and an air, air circulation device installation, which cost £2,000 because of some alleged damp issues in a property, which actually turned out to be condensation and lifestyle-related issues on part of the tenant. And instead of you know spending £2,000 on, on such an expensive installation, which I, I have on account that that particular agent was getting some kind of kickback for. Um, all that really needed to happen was a bit of education with the tenant really on correct ventilation and how to hang uh, wet washing and that sort of thing. And, and just to provide a £100 dehumidifier because uh, the, the property was prone to collect moisture in the air. So £100 versus £2,000 is quite significant, I'm sure you'll agree. And then we have supplier kickbacks and commissions, and, and these can sometimes be disclosed if you read the agreement, or they could be undisclosed. Uh, and um, typically a 10% to 15% handling fee is nice if you can get it. Even nicer if we don't know about it, of course. Then I've seen cases of falsification of supplier invoices. 
literally changing supplier invoices to a higher amount with Tipex and using a different color pen. <laughs> that was pretty obvious. Um, but there's some less obvious situations that can arise as well. And then there's charges for work that have not taken place, such as cleaning or inspections or even repairs. So, uh, yep, watch out for those. Delayed rent transfers. So I talked about, you know, transfers within five days of collection or five days at the end of the month or just sitting on it. That sort of thing has happened. Equally, unauthorized deductions, large amounts just appearing on your rent statement that you've no knowledge of. And cross charges to other properties. Perhaps you've got several properties with the agents and they make cross charges from one to the other without your consent. And an array of other payment related problems that have emerged with agents as well. And then I've got this one really annoys me. It's what I call the six month renewal fee scam. And that's where a new tenancy uh, is renewed with the, with the existing tenant after six months for a further six months only for it to all happen again six months later for a six-month renewal. And of course, what gets missed here sometimes is both parties, i.e. the tenant and the landlord, are charged a renewal fee um, for the very same process repeated every six months on this sort of cycle. And all despite clear instructions on my behalf, on my behalf rather, when I've seen this, to not do that. Uh, you know, either stick on, re on uh, a statutory periodic tenancy or renew maybe on an annual basis, perhaps after the first six months. I'm not saying that maybe you should go into a long-term tenancy right from day one. It might not be appropriate given the situation, but maybe once both parties are happy with one another, you can renew for one year or two years or three years. It doesn't matter. Um, obviously, getting the property back is going to be more of a problem with a longer tenancy, but don't overlook the fact that a six-month cycle of renewals is just going to produce a six-month cycle of fees as well, and that's just going to eat into your bottom line. And then we have sharp wording practices buried in the small print, especially additional charges arising uh, despite being under full management. I've seen a full management agreement with extras as follows, letting fees, renewal fees, call-outs, admin charges, reference fees, advertising costs, inspections, inventories, and my favorite, house sitting charges awaiting uh, repair and utility companies. This is in a full management <laughs> agreement that all of these extras suddenly appear. So what's the definition of full? Uh, half empty, it seems. <laughs> but I also spot sales commissions and long-term letting agent fee lock-in periods lurking around uh, long after termination as well. So watch out for those. Agents spending our rent to prop up their failing business. And this can happen when an agent runs into financial difficulty and then is tempted to start to delay payment to the landlord or possibly more likely to HMRC and customs uh, before finally going bust. And I do know an agent personally who told me that's exactly what they were doing. Of course, it's just a question of time before they go bust. I haven't checked, but I don't really think I need to either. So I could go on, I guess, but I think it's best to leave it there and simply look at what we can do in prevention or at least in damage limitation. So what are the lessons learned that we can you know, adopt to protect ourselves? Well, first of all, we can uh, always, you know, I think I always go back to this first point, do our research on due diligence on the people and companies we plan to work with. Check all advertised memberships independently. Don't just take a logo on a website as proof. Also check Companies House, the Estates Gazette, 
and search for county court judgments on the companies, the offices, and all of their related companies as well to look for warning signs on their financial and credit position. Check their filings at Companies House. Check online ratings and then repeat all of this every single year. That was my mistake. I started and did all the references uh, with the first company I mentioned earlier on in the episode, but I didn't repeat the checks after the uh, after the first year. And, you know, things started to slide. Things do change in people's positions. And I haven't detected that. Guess what I do now? <laughs> Second, I know it's boring. It is really boring. But do read the bloody small print. Ask for explanations when you're unsure of what it means or ask for changes when things look just a little bit iffy. Um, I'm notorious for this. I read the agreement and I ask for explanations and I also ask for changes as well. Uh, Yes, it makes me appear a little bit of a stick in the mud, a little bit awkward to deal with. But at the same time, people who've got uh, nothing to hide genuinely, well, first of all, they probably don't have a lot of things in in their contract to hide either. But if they do have some things that maybe you're not happy with, they tend to be reasonable people and accommodating as well. So um, ask for what's included and ask for what's extra and ask for what else they get paid for separately and be specific. Do you get paid commissions, referral fees or kickbacks from any third party relating to our agreement? Um, This could be such as referral fees, as I mentioned. But uh, ask the question, see what response you get, possibly even put it in an email to get it clarified that way. And if you're just very concerned with any of this, as always, just walk away. Three, ask for copies of and indeed check all supporting invoices for works undertaken and and agree a repairs and maintenance instruction or approvals policy. Don't let them just decide to do whatever they want with your property and with your money. And for obviously for larger bills and repairs, insist on getting them getting either two to three alternative quotes or even get your own quotes to check against. And don't forget to Google the cost of any parts. I've been quite surprised when I've done this on, on occasion. I, I had one case recently and to be honest, I did let this one go. But I was quoted, I think it was £140 or something for uh, a tap, tap replacement, just the part not including the labour from a plumber who'd gone to do a repair. There was a faulty tap, recommended replacement. Okay, it happens. I think it was around about £140 for a monoblock uh, mixer tap replacement part. And I just Googled the part and it's, I could get it for £95. So we're talking about a 50% or so markup um, in, in the price. I queried it and the, um, the plumber concerned came back and said, I always get my parts from this one particular supplier. That's the price that they charge. They have a no quibble return policy, which is going to benefit me in the long run. So that's why I'm doing it. Well, on that particular occasion, I accepted the explanation. Um, it wasn't, a, you know, whilst it was 50% more, uh, it was only £45 more or thereabouts. So I, I accepted the explanation for the hassle factor and for the ease for the plumber and for the additional protection that I might have, you know, with the uh, exchange-free warranty. I decided to live with it and move on. But there could be more serious cases where that actually leads to, you know, serious overcharges and unnecessary expenses. So uh, on occasion, get your own price. But I think the most important thing is to have a dialogue with the agent and make sure you set sort of a, at what point can they just go and do things, usually a spend limit or emergency repairs. And at what point would they need to refer to you? And at what point would they need to go out and get multiple quotes? Uh, And these things are different. They do arise and uh, they're well versed with it, I can assure you. Okay, number four. 
check your statements, <laughs> check them every single month and do make sure you reconcile these to your bank account and query anything that looks amiss. Pay close attention to the dates as well. So if you start to see the uh, the rental uh, money coming into your account being stretched, you know, consistently over time, uh, gradually over time, then query it. Um, and check what's in your written agreement. Obviously, this all starts with knowing what's in your agreement in the first place, so you can refer back to it. And this is exactly what happened with the first agent in, in, uh, that I had dealings with. I knew what uh, was agreed. That was also the practice. And then suddenly it changed. But I was the awkward one, right? Wrong. <laughs> Number five, and I guess the final point, make sure you maintain your own records and do not simply reply, uh, sorry, rely on the agent to do what they should be doing for you. And this is the painful one um, because in the event of something going wrong, like no gas safety certificate for argument's sake or no ERC or no protected deposit, they're the sort of, some of the big ones that can have very serious consequences. Um, if something goes seriously wrong, sure, the agent might be sat next to us in the dock, um, but they might also be sat next to us in the next prison cell as well. And in fact, it could actually be worse than that under certain situations. So, um, you know, we, we can, um, we can, what's the word I'm looking for? We can assign our responsibility, but we can never abdicate our responsibility. We are ultimately responsible for what goes on, on in our properties. And, uh, the experience I had with that first particular letting agent has really taught me a painful and but valuable lesson that I need to check on the people who are doing things for me. Uh, as if I was doing it myself. So I need checks in place to check that they're doing for me what they should be doing. And that, if you if you take nothing else away from this episode today, take that away. Just don't rely 100% that they're doing things. Make follow up, check, and document is my uh, you know watchword here. So in conclusion, then I do indeed work with some great individuals and companies in the letting agents and property management space. Trust me, I do, despite what I'm saying. Obviously, this horror stories series puts a different spin or negative uh, skew on, on some of the experiences that I and others have had. But it's not all like that, I can assure you. It's very much the tip of the, uh, the point of the needle here that I'm talking about. But now and again, I do come across some, you know, useless, frankly, or even down, downright criminal agents, sadly. I still have my little black book, should you want to cross-check uh, anyone against. So drop me a line if that's the case. Okay, so that's me done again this week. Uh, the show notes can be found over at thepropertyvoice.net. Or if you want to talk about anything from today's show, or just talk about property investing more generally, you know you can always email me, podcast at thepropertyvoice.net. And I'd be more than happy to hear from you. Ciao, ciao. Thank you for listening today. Now head over to thepropertyvoice.net for more inspirational content and get updates through our mailing list. Join us next time on the Property Voice podcast. And if you enjoyed the show, please don't forget to rate us on iTunes.